for the past several weeks on Sunday mornings, we've been studying from the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians has some tremendous lessons in it. One of the greatest things is the theme of the book is the church of Christ. The church that belongs to him, the one of which he is head. The first three chapters of this great book talk about the blessings that you and I enjoy by being children of God and the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. The chapters 4 through 6 describe for us the behavior that God wants us to have as a blessed people. This morning we're going to begin with chapter 5 and we're going to look at the first several verses that are found there. By way of introduction, I'd like to begin with a question. Does it matter who people think you are as long as you know who you are? There's a difference between reputation and character. Character is who you really are. You know in your own mind and in your own heart. And God knows who you are. Reputation is the belief or the view of others about who you are. Many people would say, I know who I am. And what other people think really doesn't matter to me. But does it really? We... And who we are reflects on God. If my reputation is tarnished, then I reflect badly on God. If I'm the kind of people who periodically, even occasionally, chooses to do something wrong, I reflect on God. I'd like for you to notice a few passages of Scripture with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Yes, people will speak evil of us. But we should never give them any opportunity to say something bad about us as Christians. If you go to chapter verse 15, that same chapter, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You and I ought to have not only character, but we ought to have reputation. In Proverbs 22.1, Solomon would say, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and loving favor than silver and gold. It does matter what kind of reputation, what kind of name that you have. When Paul was raising the funds for the needy saints at Jerusalem, he knew he was honest. He knew that those people whom he had chosen with him were honest. But he said we ought to provide honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We need to live lives that are above reproach. Someone might say then, well, you're calling on us to really make a strong effort, work at it, to live a good life. That's true. That's right. 
This morning we're going to look at three things from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. First of all is imitation found in verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to look at the impropriety of things that are not fitting for Christians in verses 3 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 14, we will look at illumination of our lives. Let's begin, first of all, let's go back and look at verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Imitators of God. If you're reading the original King James, you've noticed the word followers. The original word there is from where we get our English word mimic. And you know what mimicking is, don't you? That's what children do sometimes behind their parents when their parents are talking and they're you know, it's, it's mimicking. But mimicking sometimes even is a little more serious or a little more plain than that. For instance, Charles Caleb Colton is famous for a phrase, a saying, and that is, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Let me give you an illustration or two. The people of the first century would have understood this very well. Because during that period of time, you would have a tutor. The book of Galatians in the original King James uses the word schoolmaster. But it's someone who takes you under their wing. They teach you and they train you. And the greatest compliment you could pay to your teacher was try to be like him. I don't know if you've ever noticed that a lot of the preachers that have come through have been folks who said, hey, I went to school with Tony years ago. Many of us sat at the feet of Brother Tom Holland. He was the uh, preaching teacher that many of us had. If you'll notice, there's a lot of common characteristics of those who preach because of the teacher. That's the way you learn how to do it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, that's okay. Jesus said it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. In other words, we learn someone teaches us and then we start mimicking, imitating that in our lives. I'm just going to just very briefly carry touch the base in two or three passages here. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. This idea that you've got someone to follow, someone to mimic, someone to imitate. In 1 Thessalonians 2.14, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. You saw these brethren. You saw how they conducted things. You realize that when you go establish a new congregation, they will know, well, what are we supposed to do? 
And they go to a well-established congregation that has studied God's Word, that is following it, and they learn that's the way you do it. When you carry that back to Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God as dear children. You've heard, like father, like son. We are supposed to be imitating God in the things that we do. God is good. We ought to be good to people. Occasionally, sometimes, though, people show that they have a different father. Jesus said in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he's a liar and the father of it. You see, what Paul is saying Imitate God, just like dear, beloved children. And then, wow, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ has loved us. You see, not only am I to be an imitator of God the Father, I'm to imitate Jesus the Son and the way Jesus conducted himself. In fact, you learn how to love from Jesus. I feel sorry for so many people. I see children growing up in homes where there's no love. Mother doesn't love daddy. Daddy doesn't love mother. Parents don't love children. Brothers and sisters don't know how to love one another. And it's sad. But Jesus taught us better, folks. In fact, in John 13, 34, and 35, right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what he said to them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another also. By this all will men know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. You see, he taught us to love each other just like he loved us. In Ephesians 4.32, the verse that just precedes this passage, he said, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And he says, what does that do? That becomes a sweet-smelling aroma. The sacrifice that is going up is in God's sight. It's like, boy, that's a beautiful smell. If you're here tonight, we're going to study Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 1, and we're going to study about a stink. But this is sweet smelling. In fact, God is always pleased with the right kind of sacrifice. Genesis 8, 21 Noah offered a sacrifice, and the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. That sweet-smelling aroma. Now that leads me to the second part of this lesson. And that is impropriety. 
You've heard people say something is inappropriate. When Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said there's a time for mourning and a time for laughter. There are times when people have said things and done things that I have grimaced. I mean, when you go to a funeral and the hearts of people are broken and somebody there is laughing, oh, that just doesn't fit at all. There's some people's lives that are so inappropriate for a Christian. Listen carefully as we read together verses 5 through 7. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul describes several things that are not fitting for saints. In fact, he says they're so contrary, they ought not to even be named. That phrase, not even be named, is an idiom. It's a figure of speech. Like you're pulling my leg is a, is a figure of speech. Let it not be named means don't even discuss this. Don't even bring it up. The events that are going to be a part of his discussion here are things that are so foreign to Christians or should be so foreign. We shouldn't even have to talk about them. But reality is we do have to talk about it. He had to speak about them to the Ephesians. He had to speak about them to the uh, Corinthians. He says fornication. That's a word that our world doesn't want to talk about today. It's the broad word for any illicit sexual activity. It includes premarital relations, extramarital or adultery. It includes homosexuality. It includes bestiality. It's the broad word that describes all this ungodly stuff. And then he says, And all uncleanness, impurity, things frequently associated with things like fornication, in fact, Quite often, every time you find the word uncleanness, you'll find the word fornication right there with it, and it includes all the dirty stuff. Dirty minds, dirty jokes, covetousness or greed which becomes idolatry. You see, Christians have to stand out in the world. And those people lived as much in an immoral world as we do. Brother David included in his prayer this morning the fact that so many things in our world seems to become more ungodly. Does it bother you that 
people today are promoting homosexuality? Does me. Does it bother you that people seem to think nothing about taking an unborn child, beautiful little baby, and killing it? Does it seem like as if every time you turn on the television set that somebody who's not married is having some sort of affair and people think it's okay? It's normal. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. When you will not participate in all these ungodly activities, people think you're strange. And Paul said, that's right. You ought to be different. You ought to be strange. He goes on to describe some suggestive language. And folks, this is important. He says... Filthiness. This is what's indecent and obscene. He talks about foolish talking. The Greek word is morologio, literally the word of morons. That's what he's talking about. Coarse jesting. That means the twisting of words to deceive. And then I thought it was interesting, the dictionary lexicon put facetious here, which involves treating serious issues with deliberately inappropriate behavior. When you take things that should be honorable and holy and you treat them with disrespect, that's coarse jesting. And he says they're not fitting. They don't belong in the Christian's vocabulary. He said, but rather the giving of thanks. That's what we ought to be known for. Folks, I want to be very plain. The speech of Christians ought to be better than it is. There ought to be no unclean words proceed over our lips. There ought not be any of the bad stories told to one another. If it's inappropriate, it ought not be told by us. There's enough worldly people out there to tell all that bad stuff. For this you know, and then he talks about the fornicator, the unclean person, the idolater. He says, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? And this is serious. The people who practice these things don't go to heaven. You can't go to heaven being one of these people. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. There are people who will tell you, it's okay. You know, the preacher, we expect him to be against it. Yeah, the elders will say, no, you ought not do that. But, oh, we're not that narrow-minded. In fact, there are some people who would say, 
God loves us so much, He's just going to over, pass over all that. He's so gracious. Do you know what? The Bible deals with that. Romans 6 and verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. When you go to 2 Peter 2, verses 18 and 19, he's talking about Christians who just got out of the world being drawn back into the world. And he says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness... They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who've actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him is he also brought into bondage. People will tell you everything's okay, everything's okay. He said, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. They deserve what they are getting. God has planned, and this is the way he has revealed it. To those who do good, there's heaven. We didn't earn it, but God graciously gives it. On the other hand, to those who rebel and decide, I'm going to live the way I want to live, he said, they are treasuring up for themselves wrath in the day of judgment and therefore do not be partakers with them I want to add a verse to it I think is very important folks Romans 1 and verse 32 after Paul talks about three times God gave them up God gave them up God gave them up and then he comes down to a list of all kinds of sins and here's the way he puts it who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy or deserving of death not only do the same. Now listen carefully to this last part. But also approve of those who practice them. Do I approve of other people committing fornication? Do I approve of covetousness? This is very serious. Well, let's take the last part, verses 8 through 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed or man made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Once darkness, but now light. There is a great emphasis in the book of Ephesians on who you used to be and who you are now. The old man and the new man. The one who was without hope and without God in this world. And the one now who has the hope of eternal life. 
And there are many passages which talk about the illumination of the Christian life. You all know Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People need to see our light. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus said to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. And John will go on to record in 1 John 1 verse 9. Now let me go ahead and get 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. There is here a series of contrast. He talks about darkness versus light. And there's no in-between. Either you're on the dark side or on the light side. He contrasts the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness that Paul also spoke about to the Galatians in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 versus the unfruitful works of darkness, the things that they do. There's a contrast here saying having no fellowship with these things, but rather in exposing them. He talks about the things which they do in secret will be exposed by the light. He talks about those who are awake versus those who sleep. Do you recognize the difference? Just like some people sleep through all kinds of things, they're not really paying attention to what is going on. They're people who are sleeping through this life. They're not paying attention to where sin will lead. And so he calls on them to wake up. And you have to make a choice of which that you will follow. Paul drew a stark contrast between those who were saints on the one side and those who were serving the dark side. And those of us who are saints must reject and reprove, that is, expose the dark side. Now let me end with a passage that is going to tie this together for those of you who this morning are not yet Christians. The very purpose of the preaching of the gospel is to turn people from darkness to light. In Acts 26, as Paul stood before the governor Festus and before Agrippa, here is what he said his job was to do. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul said, that's the job that I have. This morning, 
I don't know where everybody's at. But let me emphasize to you. Your life should be in the light. If you've not yet become a Christian, you are still in darkness. And like Paul said, it's to turn you to the light. You can respond this morning because of your faith in Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, and be baptized. And the Lord adds you to His church. You're a part of His body. You are now in light in the Lord, a son of light. What I'm fearful of, most of us here gathered this morning are Christians. And what we have done is we've tried to walk some on the dark side. And folks, you can't do that. Not and be pleasing to God. If you need to make a change in your life, we'll pray with you this morning. It requires repentance on your part. And then prayer that those sins will be forgiven. Would you come as we stand and sing?